When the great Greek astronomer Claudius Ptolemy gazed at the heavens, he felt the particular curiosity many of us have come to know. He was exceptionally curious as to what caused the stars, the sun, the moon, and the planets to seem to rotate around Earth every day, every night, and day. <laughs> this caused him to formulate the Ptolemaic model of the universe, otherwise known as the geocentric model of the universe. The geocentric model comprises our planet Earth in the center of the universe. Um, surrounded by the rotating heavens known as the celestial sphere. Everything, including the distant stars and planets, the sun, the other planets in the solar system, and everything else, honestly, uh, revolved around planet Earth. The rotation of the heavenly bodies around Earth were said to be perfect circles in the Ptolemaic model, but the problem with that was that the, the observational evidence didn't align with the hypothesis, as many scientific experiments in human history have come to show. Ptolemy began watching how the sun, the moon, and the planets, at least from Earth, didn't seem to be traveling in perfect circles. Observations made on planets perplexed him. Some planets were seen to be reversing their course on some nights, and then resuming their course later on. Uh, in revising his mo model, which was the Ptolemaic model, of course, at first, uh, comprising the stars and the rest of the celestial sphere, not including the planets, the sun and the moon, he had every single planet, every or every single star, every single everything, uh, rotating around the Earth every single day. And that's basically what happened. Um, and... But after observing the planets, after observing the planets uh, in retrograde motion, as we will be talking about because you clicked on this podcast, uh, after he meant, after he realized that and saw that, uh, he began to revise his model. And his revision of the model was, at the very least, extremely confusing. <laughs> um, in revising his model, he described what are known as epicycles and deferents. Uh, the epicycle is a small intermediate orbit uh, whose center moves around the circumference of the larger orbit. So, so think of Mars's orbit right now. Just pretend it's a perfect circle, and right like and go to like the top of that circle. So, like imagine you're looking at the solar system from above, and you see there's the sun in the middle, of course, and then Mars in its orbit. Now, every once in a while, like imagine at the top. It'll just randomly go into a perfect circle, another perfect circle, a tiny, smaller perfect circle. And let's to be fair, it was much more complicated than this, because you had to. Well, I mean, first of all, it was not as accurate as it should have been, anyways. Uh, but second of all, it was, yeah, it was just, it was really overly and dramatically confusing compared to everything else in existence let's just say it that way i mean look at the look at the laws of planetary motion right now i mean they're just so much easier like literally i i have done the kepler i have done kepler's third law like the equation on my uh on my calculator before i've done it in my head before it's not like, it's not that difficult it's it's truly like the new the new um 
uh, laws of planetary motion and the the heliocentric model, all of those are way more accurate and way less confusing than epicycles and deference because just look at the picture and it makes no sense to you. <laughs> Let's just say it that way because it made no sense for me. But yeah, um, this of course was very wrong. <laughs> With the heliocentric model, we now know that the apparent reversal or the reverse motion of some of the uh, the planets, uh, the moon, sun, uh, is actually an apparent reverse motion. So like it's it's apparent, like it, it's a result of what is known as retrograde motion. In this episode, we will learn about what retrograde motion is and how it actually works. Uh, picture the moon for a moment, like picture the moon cycle for a moment. Uh, go out like at 8 p.m. So the next full moon is November 30th, at least to the height of my knowledge, because the last full moon was on November 1st, technically in the morning. So go out on November 30th, last day of November. You will see a full moon at 8 p.m. I think it rises, I think it rose, it rose at like 7.04 last time. So it should probably rise at like 6.20 now, 6. 11 yeah something like that so yeah go out there go outside see where it is in the sky then go out the next day on december 1st and again see where it is in the sky at 8 p.m as long as yeah just just go outside and look you will notice that the moon is uh further to the west or further to the east not to the west my bad uh than it was on november 30th now, this is uh, quite interesting. I mean, it's enough to spur some curiosity, especially for the early astronomers that had no idea uh, what was actually causing uh, the moon to do something like this. So that's that's where we get the Ptolemaic model from anyways. But the moon was... Uh, because of how dominant the moon was in the sky, it was not as... Uh, it was not like the planets. The planets were... Okay, th- I have to go... I have to branch off for this, for this moment. Okay, so... Earlier, like in in ancient times, like Greek Roman empires, before we discovered the first planets like Jupiter and Mars, uh, before we discovered that they actually were planets using telescopes, um, we believed that they were stars. So astrology was formed based on the stars, like on the where the planets were uh, in the night sky at a specific time. I think it was something like that, and but they weren't considered planets. They were actually uh, considered stars, they were considered, like, for example, planet is, I think it's Greek, planet is Greek for, uh, wanderer, like, wanderers, so they were, like, wandering stars, in a way, almost, so the planets were, uh, significant in ancient history, or in ancient times, for obvious reasons, I mean, they were formed, I even the, even the days, like, every single day, like, Sunday is sun day, uh, Monday is moon day, <laughs> I think it's something like that, uh, Tuesday, Tuesday is something, Tuesday, I think Tuesday is Mars, Wednesday is, uh, Wednesday is, mm, yeah, Wednesday is Mercury, Thursday is Jupiter, Friday is Venus, it might be Venus, Friday might be Venus, oh yeah, Friday definitely is Venus, Friday is definitely Venus, um, and Saturday is, uh, Saturn, so that's, isn't it kind of cool, like, there was always a significant relation in the, uh, wandering stars, uh, to, 
ancient astronomy and astrology, I, and even just ancient culture in general. So, I mean, I know that's a really huge backtrack, but like, I read that in a book today, and I thought that was so incredibly amazing. And we're going, we're really going to be into this history stuff uh, in this episode, so we might as well just get into it. Um, but you would see, uh, going, if you went back out same time on December 1st, a day after the last full moon, you would see that the moon is further to the east than it was on November 30th. So on December 1st, further to the east. And yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Now, while this is nothing to us, uh, this really not even not only amused but confused astronomers especially ancient astronomers for a very long time and i mean millennia a very very long time since since the beginning of civilization we have been uh perplexed by this crazy by the wandering stars and the moon and the sun all of that we didn't even know the sun we didn't even know the sun was a star like we didn't even know the sun was a star until like quite recently like eerily recently um yeah it, it, it'll surprise you but yeah uh when earth rotates on its axis so this is this is why this is happening so i mean while this perplexed many ancient astronomers it doesn't perplex us because we know it uh when earth rotates on its axis it rotates significantly faster than the moon revolves around earth uh, because of this each night the moon appears to rise uh, later than it had previously uh, this lasts continuously throughout the entire period known as the, well, I mean, if you want to go by, uh, it can be the synodic period, or it could be really the sidereal period. So the synodic period is basically the, it, let's just say it's the time it takes from the, for the moon to go from a full moon to a full moon again. So it's around 29 and a half days. The sidereal month is the amount of time it takes uh, the moon to orbit around Earth, which is around 27 and third days. So there's there's a significant difference there. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, so this is known as uh, so this eastern motion is known as retrograde motion. Retrograde motion is basically defined as the apparent motion of a planet in a direction opposite to that of other bodies within its system, as observed from a particular van vantage point. So right now. I think right now, yeah, right now, Mars is in retrograde motion. So you'll see that it'll kind of go to the, it'll kind of seem to slightly move to the east. And you can see it in pictures too. Like there are a lot of people who take composites, who really pay attention to that stuff, take composite images and all that. And that's really cool in my opinion. I think that's so cool. And it's actually not that difficult to do it. But um, yeah, so that's basically what's happening. So retrograde motion, it's just an apparent uh, shift. It, it seems like it's happening, but it's not actually technically happening. Um, so, yeah, so the vantage, point, the vantage point in this situation would be Earth, of course. So we're going to talk about the history of retrograde motion and, of course, its significance. Uh, retrograde motion is very perplexing. It's always been perplexing to everyone in existence it's still kind of perplexing to me like i know how it happens now but i'm not gonna lie to you it took me a long time to figure out what was going on see i always knew i always knew what it, i always knew how it reversed because that's easy to see if you look at the if you look at it like a 
representation, like a picture of it. But I don't know. I didn't know why it reversed again. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I legitimately didn't know. But then I realized that it's all angles. So I, I will explain that very soon too. Uh, but as I mentioned in the introduction, Ptolemy is well known for having such difficulty with retrograde motion. In the Ptolemaic model, he lists epicycles and deference in a complicated orbital cycle to keep his geocentric model, and I quote, accurate, or quote-unquote, not and I quote, but quote-unquote, accurate. Not accurate at all, but still uh, more accurate than it had been. Uh, while he obviously, well, no, it's still very... It's still very inaccurate. Uh, while he obviously was wrong, he was not the only astronomer, astronomer to have horrid difficulties working around retrograde motion. Uh, the ancient Greeks had a horrible time dealing with retrograde motion. That includes uh, Ptolemy himself, uh, especially considering they didn't know it existed. <laughs> Even with epicycles and deference, the Greeks named the star-like objects in the night sky planets. And planets to us are Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, uh, and Neptune. Uh, but to the Greeks, they were literally known as wanderers. Like, that's that was the word for them. Uh, planet is the Greek word, word for wanderers. I think I explained this earlier. Uh, the planet's retrograde mo motion was certainly to blame for this inspiring yet naive name. <laughs> the geocentric model, unfortunately, was not corrected until the days of Nicholas Copernicus, Nicolaus Copernicus and Johannes Kepler, if you know them, you should know them. Uh, the two of them realized that Earth and the planets orbited the Sun rather than the Sun and the planets orbiting Earth. So this just completely threw epicycles and deference out of, out of the main focus. Like, it's impossible at that point because none of them are revolving around the Earth. So there has to be a different thing that is explaining why uh, such unusual motion is occurring with some of these planets uh, every once in a while. So, that's exactly what we did. That is exactly what we did. Uh, once Kepler began examining distances and orbital periods of the planets in our solar system and devising the laws of planetary motion, definitely learn how to do uh, Kepler's third law through math. It's not that difficult. Uh, he began to discover that retrograde motion was an apparent shift in the location of a planet relative to Earth. A retrograde motion definitely perplexed me for a significant period of time. Uh, I, so I'll give you an example. So, I am in an astronomy class. So, like, not not even I'm not talking about my clubs. I'm not talking about all the other things I do involving astronomy. But I was in a class uh, in first quarter in the first quarter of this school year, and one of our first. One of our first uh, terms was retrograde motion, and they say it's the apparent shift. The apparent shift, but like, I was always so confused. Like, why did it turn around again? It made absolutely no sense to me. Like, I spent a ton of time trying to figure it out. And, well, it was kind of ironic because when I was researching for this video, for this uh, episode, which I didn't actually plan on doing in the first place. I definitely was going to do an episode, but I didn't plan on doing it on retrograde motion. When I was researching for it, I went, I stumbled on the Wikipedia page for what is known as apparent retrograde motion, and immediately I saw on the right a amazing, an amazing GIF. 
of what is actually happening during retrograde motion. And then immediately I knew exactly what was going on because you can see there's like basically a line and it just, it, it forms the exact same circle that you would see in those composite images over a uh, relatively long period of time for, it depends on the planet. I mean, it can be, it can be anywhere from like 20 to 160 days, I think. I, I'm not completely sure. I haven't done that much research on it. I did enough to uh, understand it to be able to uh, explain it, but I don't know the exact numbers of everything. Uh, on In the description, I have the Wikipedia page on there. You can see what I will be explaining because I can't really show you guys a picture of it necessarily. I don't know if I can upload a GIF as my thumbnail anyways, so I definitely probably can't do it. But yeah, so I will definitely, I definitely highly recommend that you watch the link, like you actually go on the link, uh, click on the link and see for yourself. You'll be able to see the time it takes uh, for retrograde motion to occur on uh, the apparent shift to occur uh, for the different planets like not Mars, Jupiter, Uranus, all that. Um, and you'll also be able to see the actual... The actual infographic, almost, not an infographic, but like GIF that uh, shows that apparent shift, like what's actually going on. It's all about angles when it comes down to it. Like, you will see how it's all about angles, like truly. But yeah, so the mistake I made with my insane confusion with retrograde motion was simply that I was imagining the planets orbiting the sun in a straight line. I, I kid you not. I was imagining I was imagining them in a straight line, not not like an obvious straight line, but I was like, when you like you think of when you hear like uh, when Earth's orbit passes Mars, you, I think when like a car passes, like when my car passes, when I drive past someone on the freeway, like that's that's what I think of. So I'm thinking straight lines, and I'm not I'm not noticing it because it's all subconscious, but. That's the dumb mistake that I made, and I feel like a lot of people have made that mistake too, because it's a annoying. This retrograde motion is very annoying to understand. I'll just say it that way, in my opinion, at least. But yeah, so basically, I imagine that Earth was moving faster than Mars, so Mars's motion throughout the sky should appear to slow, halt, and then reverse. The problem with such a horribly in ignorant assumption, though, is that it forgets to realize that the planets orbit the sun in ellipticals not in straight lines. <laughs> well, technically they do. I mean, if you if you're really getting into rel if you really want to get into relativity, they kind of are, but we're not going to talk about that. I'm not even going to I'm not even going to enter that. My brain, no. My brain would be fine, but I'm I'm not going to enter into that crazy stuff today. We will enter the gravity is illusion part as we will definitely do a gravity is an illusion part like episode in the future. Just remind me about that. But yeah, so I completely forgot about gravity for a moment and imagined a two-dimensional universe. Honestly, a one-dimensional universe because it's just a line. So it's just a bunch of lines. So it's really a one-dimensional universe when it comes down to it. Uh, for example, in explaining this crazy stuff, we will use Mars. Uh, as Earth reaches opposition with Mars, uh, close, which is basically it being closest to Mars during Mars's orbital period. So we were really recently in uh, opposition. I think October 12th or 14th was the was the best day to see it, something like that. And uh, because it orbits the sun much closer than, like, because Earth orbits the Mar, uh, orbits the sun 
much closer than does Mars, uh, and because it orbits faster than Mars does, Mars's motion relative to the stars in the night sky will change over time. For a few months, it will continually slow down to a point in which it is not moving at all, and then it will eventually reverse its apparent motion throughout the night sky. Uh, imagine, basically imagine a 2D surface uh, with Mars and Earth uh, at the height of the orbit. Imagine basically two circles surrounding the sun with both Mars and uh, Earth on the tops of their circles. And imagine planet Earth moving faster than Mars. Uh, you will see that as it moves through its circular orbit, the apparent region in the night sky relative to Earth will shift. Uh, Mars is, specifically. Mars will appear to reverse its motion throughout the sky every night for, run a, for a, a while, I guess. Uh, and then the, this motion will slow, uh, and Mars will reverse again, uh, moving in similar motion to what it had been in previously. When it comes to retrograde motion, it is all about the angle at which Earth is facing Mars. So you can see that in the infographic. I definitely think you should do that because I'm not really good at explaining this. Uh, imagine Earth has evolved from the top of the circle to the left side of the circle in its counterclockwise orbit. Uh, Mars, because it has such a lengthier orbit than does Earth, is still around the top of the circle. Like Let's just imagine it's just slightly to the left. Now, if you can, imagine in your head what might be happening to the direction Mars is from Earth as Earth passes Mars at the top of the circle and continues down the middle left side of the circle while Mars remains near the top of the circle. Imagine a line pointing basically directly from Earth to Mars throughout this entire period. Uh, and just think of how it changes. So I can imagine it in my head right now, but also I've seen the actual gif before so i definitely recommend that you uh click the link so i have attached a link uh, to a wikipedia page in which i found the animation of what i just described if you're having trouble figuring out what i'm saying which i assume there's a possibility you do if you don't know about retrograde motion yet uh click on the link in the description and definitely view the animation over the course of many nights you will see the incredible circular planner uh, pattern uh, that the planet in retrograde will perform. The animation and my description of the animation does justice to what is happening, but not what it, not to what it actually looks like. If you have seen a composite image of retrograde motion occurring, you will be extremely humbled. It is one of the best images you will ever see in your entire life. It is absolutely incredible, uh, at least in my opinion. I mean, it's just truly, it is truly awe-inspiring to see the to see uh, a composite image of retrograde motion it's it's quite incredible that, that there's no question about that um, so if you can take like if you take an, a, a composite image of the planet each night for many nights you're gonna get that you just have to be in the same place all the time like that's really all that you have to do but it's incredible uh, retrograde motion just like every Every topic in astronomy, not almost every topic in astronomy, is an incredibly humbling concept and a great learning experience, even when it is very difficult to understand. So what my advice to all of you guys is when you are teaching yourself or learning about astronomy from others, don't, don't feel bad if you get confused. I get confused about a lot of astronomy topics. I get confused. Like Schrodinger's cat, that took me a long time to understand and study for myself let's just say it that way so just just don't put yourself down if there's stuff that you're not getting because 
you'll eventually get it. Like, you'll take it in. Just give it some time. Like, you can't learn it immediately. I'm sorry, but, like, you can watch those YouTube videos on quantum physics and quantum mechanics, but the only people that are really going to be truly learning about it are the people that are actually writing the scripts and the people that are actually doing the research. You really have to watch a lot of those videos to get a full understanding of the basics or of what's going on and everything. So if you are not a podcaster, if you're not a writer, if you don't want to search all that stuff up for yourself, just watch a lot. Just listen to a lot of podcasts. Listen to it over again. Listen listen as much as you can. Uh, get as much information as you can. And eventually you'll build... Uh, a little bit, you'll build groundwork for an understanding of the complex topics in astronomy. So just don't put yourself down if you don't really understand the stuff right now. I didn't, for a long time, there were things that I didn't understand. I'm This thing, I did not understand until I wrote it. So that should tell you something. And it's not even a difficult concept. Like retrograde motion is really not, it shouldn't be that difficult of a concept. But for some reason, it just always perplexed me. I didn't even know it existed until like two months ago. So... Yeah, so the more you know, I guess. Um, so I'm definitely not. I'm definitely not. Um, I'm not immune to it either. So I'm definitely in that same boat. So there's just continue to learn, continue to be curious, continue to profoundly love astronomy, and it will love you back. Just give it time. So, anyways, thank you all for listening to this episode on retrograde motion and its significance. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed listening and learning, and as always, have a good morning, a good afternoon, a good evening, and a good night. Take care and stay curious.